Good afternoon, and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. Now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey. Good evening from Israel. Um, it's been quite a week since we last met. Um, obviously, the main event since uh, last Wednesday was the uh, terrorist attack in Tel Aviv uh, on a busy street, one of the busiest streets in Tel Aviv, especially on a <clears throat> on a Thursday night, which is probably the main night that people go out uh, with the bars and the restaurants and the cafes and the clubs are full um, and basically a Palestinian terrorist who infiltrated uh, from the Jinin area, uh, walked uh, down uh, a main street and basically opened fire, um, I believe inside a restaurant, uh, killed uh, two people, eventually a third was added, I believe there's still some others who are in critical condition. Um, but the most remarkable thing about that night was what happened after. Uh, usually in these things, there's usually a very quick end uh, to the event. Uh, he'll be, the terrorist will be shot uh, by uh, police. He'll carry on shooting until he's stopped by someone, sometimes a, a passerby who may be armed or something like that. But what happened was that uh, he appeared to leave the area. Uh, at the time, the police, the army, the security forces were not aware. And they were they shut down a main part of Tel Aviv again. I, I stress on, on the, probably the busiest night of the week. Uh, people were told to remain in their homes for blocks and blocks, probably thousands of people, maybe even more, were told to remain in their homes, shut their windows, do not stand on their balconies, do not watch what's going on, because they were afraid at the, at the beginning there were two or three uh, terrorists. In the end, uh, they understood that there was only one, but they had no idea where he was. Um, they really tried as much as possible to get intelligence, to get a picture of the person for hours. Everyone was sort of in suspense around the country. Israelis were watching to see. But what was remarkable is the amount of security forces. There was over a thousand of them in the heart of Tel Aviv, just going house to house, going down streets. And uh, what was even more remarkable and certainly made a lot of the news in the, in the coming days was the fact that the Israeli media followed every single step the security forces took. You just saw tens or hundreds of security forces going house to house, going up and down the street. Sometimes you would see them getting information that go running uh, to a particular building and the reporters were right in the heart of it. It's got a lot of uh, criticism the next day and we, we saw an unprecedented press release I think it was from the army, the police, and uh, the border patrol all in one saying that the media acted irresponsibly. It gave away too much uh, information in the field, too much intelligence to what was happening, and just also made them look a little bit weak, uh, a little bit sort of not knowing what was going on, and, and maybe even gave a, a little bit of um, you know, strength to the enemy. In the end, in the early hours, they found the terrorist who was hiding out in a in a mosque or near a mosque uh, in Jaffa, uh, not too far away, but still a relative uh, amount of uh, time you must have taken to get there. 
it's clear from these type of situations that he was probably given away by someone local uh, who just didn't want that sort of trouble on the doorstep. And there was a, a gunfight uh, with two or three uh, security officials and the terrorist was uh, shot dead. Uh, what then we saw uh, again after all uh, the recent terror attacks, uh, the number of Israelis or people in Israel, because some of them were not Israeli citizens, who have been killed in recent attacks has now sadly risen to 14. Uh, after each one, we've seen mass celebrations on the tele uh, uh, Palestinian streets, whether in Gaza or Judea and Samaria. Uh, and this one was no different. The father of the terrorist um, uh, basically said, uh, after hearing about the attack, that his son was a hero, that this brings us close to, uh, closer to ultimate victory. Uh, but what was interesting is that the father was a retired senior PA official. And it really spoke to uh, where we are today because officially the PA, or at least uh, its leader, Mahmoud Abbas, put out a statement, uh, not the strongest statement, but certainly stronger than previous ones, condemning the attack, but then, of course, giving that caveat, condemning all attacks against Israelis and Palestinians alike, as if there was some equivalence here. Uh, but we have seen that there's been a, a, a very strong moved by many, not just in Hamas, not just in Islamic Jihad, which is obvious, but even amongst uh, groups associated with, uh, with the PA, with Fatah uh, and other Palestinian Authority uh, associated uh, groups who have uh, really um, you know, supported some of these actions. There's uh, a few other PA, senior PA officials who have come out uh, and tried uh, terror, uh, to do terror attacks. So it shows that the weakening of the PA and the certain divisions in the hierarchy of the Palestinian Authority towards this upsurge in, in terror attacks against Israel. What we do know is that there's been an average of at least two attacks, attempted attacks, every day after, over the last 10 days. Uh, the Israeli um, uh, forces have said that they thwarted at least 20 attacks, and that number is, is certainly certain to rise uh, even today. Um, the IDF has been really in the heart of some of these villages and towns and refugee camps, trying to, uh, to act on any intelligence that it has, and it seems to have quite good intelligence, to thwart any potential attacks. There's been reports of uh, uh, the thwarting of major terrorist attacks which were planned to take place over the upcoming Passover uh, holiday, which begins on Friday. Also, we have the Easter holiday on Friday, and as we know, we're in the middle of Ramadan. So, you know, we've got um, a heightened uh, period of tension that, um, you know, around holidays celebrated by uh, Jews, Muslims, and Christians. Uh, it is clear that we are in a wave uh, of terror attacks. Uh, what is clear is uh, Prime Minister Neftali Bennett has said that we are going on the offensive. We are not just waiting for them in our towns. We're going to be in their places, wherever they are, we're going to be there. And to a certain extent, it seems like they're acting on that because the idea for the first time in many, many years has really taken the fight to, as I said, to the Palestinian towns and villages. Really, any sort of uh, idea of any attacks planned, anyone involved in any uh, terror attacks have been yanked out of their houses, off the streets, or, uh, you know, sort of sometimes arrests were tried to make and then there was a, uh, a you know, a shootout. And, some of the terrorists were then uh, what they call here neutralized, which usually means killed. Um, but it is clear that, um, that the IDF understands and the Israeli security establishment understand that they have to take different action. Another thing 
what they, uh, that they've realized is that the, uh, the security fence has too many holes. Uh, at least two of the uh, recent terrorists have used, uh, utilized the gaps, which usually are sort of uh, used by uh, day laborers, a lot of Palestinian day laborers, tens of thousands come in uh, from Judea and Samaria into Israel to work. And there's a sort of understanding that that's allowed because Israel needs the day laborers and they want Palestinian economy to function. And these people bring back a lot more money than they can make within the PA. So there's sort of been a, a blind eye uh, turned to this. But as the terror attacks have increased and the attempted terror attacks uh, have increased, the, these holes have been shored up. The government uh, gave uh, tens of millions of uh, shekels to shore up these holes and to increase the idea of presence along uh, the security barrier, uh, while also uh, Defence Minister Benny Gantz has also tried to alleviate the pressure by uh, instructing um, the, uh, the inclusion of tens of thousands of Palestinians to legally enter Israel. That means that they'll come through checkpoints where they'll uh, have to supply their ID cards. So the idea is that that will be a more official, legal, and safe way for Palestinians to enter Israel uh, that will negate uh, some of the terrorist actions. We'll have to wait uh, and see um, what exactly happens with that. What we have seen from the leader of the joint list, the Arab joint list in Israel, uh, Ayman Uda, is that uh, you know, thanks to some of the response that the IDF has taken in recent days, he, uh, very controversial as you can imagine, came out and said that all Arabs serving in Israel security forces, whether the IDF or police or border patrol, should put down their weapons or throw them back at the Zionists or whatever language he used, uh, which as one can imagine, uh, received quite a, a response from across Israeli society, obviously from the right and the center and the left and even the far left and even uh, Mansour Abbas, the leader of their rivals uh, in the Arab uh, community, Ram. Uh, which also came out and said, you know, I'm an order and his party doesn't offer any solutions, just rhetoric uh, and hate, etc. What we have seen, <laughs> especially today, is what some have said is the mirror image of that hate and rhetoric and extremism. This is how it's been characterized uh, by, none other, uh, by none other than uh, Hili Tropper, who is the Minister of Culture and Sport of Benny Gantz's White Party, who said that Ayman Oda and Betzalov Smotrich of the uh, National Religious Party, the far-right uh, religious, uh, the Religious Zionist Party, um, came out today with some extraordinary comments, uh, which he subsequently walked back. But what he did say is that, uh, uh, that anyone who involves themselves in this government, uh, who claims to be from the right in the religious community, uh, should not be allowed into public institutions and including uh, synagogues, uh, but take an asset. Uh, and that got him into quite a lot of bother, as you can imagine. Prime Minister uh, Bennett uh, made them the centre of his remarks at a ceremony today, saying that this is what caused the destruction of the Jewish temple and the Jewish commonwealth and the Jewish state 2,000 years ago, this sort of hatred and, uh, you know, that we, can, we should be able to get through disagreements. And he gave an impassioned uh, response and defense of his government that says, you know, since I've been working with some of these uh, people who are considered on the left, you know, I, I understood that they may have differences of opinion and we have very different, uh, major difference of opinion, but their love of the land, of the state of Israel, of the Jewish state is no less great than mine. And 
that's what we should be doing. We should be working together, especially during these challenging times. Uh, as I said, Bitsara Sumatra has tried to walk out some of the comments, not completely, uh, by you know, uh, sort of claiming, well, Bennett lied and he deceived his supporters and he's working with these left-wing Islamist uh, parties, so he has no rights, et cetera, et cetera. But as, as we can imagine, uh, those comments caused a lot of controversy. Um, moving finally on, before we take questions into what's happening in the internal political map, as we know, uh, you know, recently Edith Zilman from the Amina party, uh, Prime Minister Bennett's party, moved across, which uh, basically gave the opposition and the coalition an even 60 each, uh, which means that if one more member would move across to the opposition, uh, they could pass a, uh, a vote of, uh, no, not a vote of no confidence, a vote of uh, dispersal of the Knesset. Well, that hasn't happened. Uh, the momentum has been taken out. It is clear that around the same time as they were talking to Edith Zilman, they were also talking to Ayla Shaked, who is the closest person in Yamina, the interior minister, uh, and the uh, closest person to Prime Minister Bennett. They've been partners all the way through their political careers. Um, it's clear that there were discussions were taking place, uh, significant discussions, but in the end, she decided not to bolt. Uh, Edith Zilman was promised that when she did bolt the coalition, that it would only be a few, a few hours uh, before someone else did. Uh, that clearly did not happen, and it now comes out that there's been a lot of other promises, including to her husband, uh, if she would uh, leave the coalition, which she did. Um, another possible contender to leave the um, coalition near Orbach was certainly under a lot of pressure, and he put up at least three demands of Prime Minister uh, Bennett to remain in the government to cancel um, the end of um, payments to yeshiva students for uh, extra activities in the afternoon uh, was one of those demands, which uh, Finance Minister Victor Lehman, who was the proponent of these, uh, agreed to put off another year. Another one was to put, to, to, uh, to ensure that the, what they call the new uh, settlements, uh, basically the settlements that were built without permission from Israel, which are, you know, quote unquote, illegal under Israeli law, um, but to ensure that they have electricity, that was one of the demands in the coalition agreements from Yamina. It wasn't uh, being pushed through, um, but now we understand that uh, Interior Minister Gidon Saar has given, uh, not Interior Minister, Justice Minister Gidon Saar has given his approval. So it's now just for uh, Benny Gantz, the Defence Minister, to give his approval, and that will happen. Uh, the third uh, condition was to ensure that there'd be a committee uh, that would be uh, created or at least re-established uh, to ensure that building uh, Israeli uh, communities in Judea and Samaria would, would continue apace. Um, so at the moment, uh, the three potential defectors from Yamina, whether they're Ayala Shekid, uh, Nir Orbach or Kara, uh, are not leaving. Uh, we're still in a sort of a recess of Knesset, so there's not much going on, although there was a meeting today where there was actually coalition and opposition coming together on tax breaks and lowering uh, the cost of uh, gas and petrol. So it shows that they can work together when it's, uh, when it's for certain issues, which they both understand is, is, is important to their political base. But the fireworks haven't started. They will start uh, in May when the Knesset reconvenes. Um, nothing is probably going to happen until, uh, until that point, uh, because we won't see probably those defections, those three uh, members of Knesset, or uh, in, in, 
he's one case a minister, they are uh, keeping tabs on the situation. They are going to see what happens if they have got uh, what to contribute uh, to this government. If not, then we can certainly see it fall. But as I said last week, it does have this government does have a, uh, a sell by date, and that is uh, March next year. When, because if the budget uh, is not passed three months uh, into the year, then the government automatically falls. And at this point in time, without some major surprise of either Edith Zillman returning to the government, which I don't see this week, she confirmed that she has no intention to do so, even though the government has been very careful and it has been a talking point to make sure that they don't alienate her, even if she doesn't return to the government, maybe they can get her to vote uh, with the government, uh, the coalition on certain issues. They hope that of Amichai Shikli, who was the first renegade Yamina MK, uh, but that never happened and they finally uh, have uh, placed um, the official status of renegade MK on him, which means if it goes through, uh, he will not be able to run in the next elections uh, with uh, an existing party. So that obviously hampers his opportunities in the next uh, parliament and also sends a message to other Yemen MKs that regardless of what you could or other parties promise you, uh, you may well not have a future just because of this uh, particular legal definition. So with that, I'm happy to answer uh, questions on any of the issues or anything else on your mind. All right, thank you so much. So the first question in is from Len Levin. Uh, Daniel Pipes and many others believe that the best or perhaps only way to reduce the Arab terrorism is to seek a complete victory, meaning that Israel has to break the will of the other side. Uh, do you think that Israel will ever go this route? Well, there's sort of, there's, there's ups and downs. Um, a lot of the time, Israel sort of takes defensive operations or what it calls mowing the lawn, which are those usually those operations in Hamas where it tries to degrade the capability of Hamas and other terrorist groups uh, to operate for a certain amount of time or put them in a way, uh, ensure that they're in a worse situation so they understand it's not in their interest to carry on with that particular conflict. Um, but seeking uh, a total victory has not been seen probably since 1967 uh, with the Six-Day War. Uh, breaking the will of the opponent is a tactic which has been used throughout history to end uh, conflicts. But, um, you know, disregarding certain events here and there and certain operations and certain actions, Israel has not gone down that route. Uh, it may be forced to. Um, at the moment, Israelis are feeling a lot of pain from the 14 um, people who were killed over the last couple of weeks. Um, but fortunately, unfortunately, whatever way you want to look at it, it's not got to the point where Israel is, is there's not a public outcry for another uh, operation, uh, defensive shield, which we saw, uh, if one remembers, I think it was even 20 years, it was around 20 years ago, uh, ago the, you know, the second intifada and, the, and the, the sort of the straw that broke the camel's back was the, um, the uh, mass murder at a, at a Passover Seder in a hotel in Netanya. That was really the action, the, 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 the terrorist event that uh, forced or pushed the then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon into Operation Defensive Shield. And that was probably the last great or last large scale operation that Israel did in, in Judea and Samaria to really try and break the back of the terrorist infrastructure there. And we're now coming up to 20 years from that. And it's clear that the terrorist infrastructure is very much back in place. Uh, so there's been a lot of talk around that date coming up to Passover 
Seder and some of the attempted attacks, there's been a lot of talks about that. Do we need another Operation Defensive Shield? Uh, are we in the same situation as we were before? Some say we're in a better situation, uh, certainly with intelligence that we maybe don't need it, and this was before um, the, uh, the defensive um, offense that uh, Israel since erected. So um, there's a bit, there, there's starting to be a debate about that. Whether there will be another defensive shield, I guess, depends on what happens in the next few weeks, uh, whether there continues to be bloodshed on Israeli streets. Uh, if there is, which obviously we all hope there won't be, then there'll be far greater outcry for a major operation. But at the moment, we're finding uh, a certain level of success with these more pinpoint measures taken against uh, sort of what they call ticking bombs, uh, those that they believe are planning an attack or on their way to an attack, uh, which we've seen the idea of another security forces thought over the last uh, 10 days. Thank you so much. Uh, Barack Korkmaz asks, who is the rational actor in the Palestinian Arab sector? Uh, with whom can Israel communicate? Well, there are behind the scenes. It, it depends what you mean. If we talk about security, on security um, issues, you know, there are senior people in the PA who understand that they're not doing Israel a service when they help them, uh, you know, with Hamas or Islamic uh, Jihad activists, because they're a threat to the PA just as much as they are to Israel. So there's, there's a, a confluence of interest there rather than any particular interest to help Israel. Uh, certainly the PA, at least at the highest levels, is, uh, for them it's very important to have stability to retain whatever small amount of control that they have today uh, to make sure that Hamas does not have a foothold, uh, as it does obviously in Gaza and Islamic Jihad and even ISIS and some of these other groups. Um, as, as I said at the beginning, as we've seen, uh, the PA is very fractured. Um, there is little agreement on what its uh, response should be. I don't think you'll find much sympathy for Israel anywhere in the PA. But again, it's about what their interests are. So that at the highest levels, of the highest security levels, there is good security coordination, especially over the last few days. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that uh, went some way to... Uh, to what we're witnessing on Palestinian streets with the idea of arresting and foiling some of these attacks, because again, it's in their interest, not because they necessarily want to save uh, Israeli lives, but on the diplomatic front, nothing is moving. There's no interest. Uh, Palestinian leadership has expressed no interest, uh, is not willing or able uh, to come to the negotiating table, even if there was an Israeli government who could move on the diplomatic process, which clearly this particular one uh, is not able to. Thank you so much. And Eric and Alvin Kores, uh ask about Joseph's tomb. Uh, Eric asks, can you please talk about what is happening at Joseph's tomb? Uh, why is there little press about it as opposed to the Temple Mount where the action is on the news and what is Israel doing about it? Right. So those two events are very interesting. I'd, I'd like to go into them a little bit deeper. First of all, Joseph's tomb um, is, is a tomb that's uh, considered uh, the final resting place of the biblical uh, Joseph, which is in um, Area A, which is under full Palestinian control in the uh, Shechem or Nablus. Uh, it's on the outskirts of the, of the city. Uh, it's, it was a flashpoint during the Second Intifada, as we know. Um, it used to be guarded by Israeli. There was an understanding that Israeli soldiers would guard it, but uh, it was attacked and even the Israeli, I believe he was a Jewish officer, um, who was left to die as it burnt and they couldn't get him out. And it was a terrible 
seen. So since then, they've kind of left it under PA control. Uh, again, the PA has had an interest in not seeing too much um, uh, problems surrounding that. Every now and again, under IDF uh, cover, some pilgrims go in in the middle of the night, they pray and they get out within an hour, um, usually with no particular problems, but it has become a flashpoint. And again, a few days ago, Palestinians did attack it, did firebomb it, but then uh, some Israelis came in and repaired it again in IDF cover. Uh, the reports earlier of Palestinians again tried to converge on it to try and uh, burn it down. Uh, there is very rarely any outcry in the international arena. There's very little, if ever, coverage on this issue in the international press, as opposed to what's happening in the Temple Mount. Just today, what was fascinating is a tiny, never heard before group um, of uh, uh, a Jewish group that basically offered money to anyone who could take a lamb up to the Temple Mount to slaughter it, uh, you know, in sort of, uh, in, in, you know, in mind of the ancient uh, sacrifices that used to take place on the Temple Mount. I mean, again, probably the organization has a handful of people uh, and it wasn't, you know, no one took it up on it, but it became, you know, it's not supported by the Israeli government, any mainstream Jewish organizations, but it became internationally uh, condemned. Uh, Jordan putting out official press releases, Hamas threatening, Islamic Jihad threatening, Hezbollah threatening, all these organizations saying that this is a red line and this is going to bring about a new Middle East war and all this sort of thing. So it shows, and, and you can imagine this was covered everywhere in those, as I said, international con condemnation, just because a bunch of people, probably no more than four or five, who just decided to put out a press release that they would offer a couple of hundred dollars for anyone who managed to smuggle a lamb up on the Temple Mount. By the way, they didn't even they didn't even have to slaughter it. They just had to smuggle it up and they would be offered a few hundred dollars. Obviously, the Israeli officials to make sure this doesn't happen. Uh, it's, it's probably not even going to happen. But the fact that there is such a disparate, uh, inordinate amount of attention uh, on those two events just shows the difference in the way that Jewish holy sites are seen as opposed to what are perceived as Muslim holy sites uh, in the international arena. Thank you so much. Uh, Mardad uh, Hansari asks, uh, how is the lack of expected progress in the JCPOA talks being perceived by Israeli officials? Well, Israel is trying to take a back seat. Um, it's clear that they don't want to be seen as the one who are seen as stopping these negotiations uh, or stopping the agreement. That's always been the, the tightrope that Israel has played. They've been against it. They voiced the uh, and expressed repeatedly their opposition to uh, return to this, what they see as a deeply flawed agreement, but uh, there appears to be a major stumbling block. The Iranians are, as they have done, uh, overplaying their hands, trying to take a more extreme position. What interestingly happened was, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there was talk of the Biden administration uh, removing the revolutionary guards uh, from the list of terrorist entities, that there was a major backlash, not just from Israel, but from Sunni uh, countries and many moderate and pragmatic players in the region. And it led to the chief of, uh, chief of staff of the US Army uh, coming out and saying he was against it. And it now seems that the Biden administration is certainly climbing down off that one, uh, you know, uh, officially claiming that they were never considering it, but it's clear that. Uh, there was significant consideration that moved to try and bring the Iranians back uh, to the table. 
but ever since that happened, it may, it, it's obviously not just that particular event, but the Iranians uh, seem to be moving further and further away from the table. And uh, their stance is sort of, well, we're staying in, in Iran until uh, the agreement that we want is, is on the table, which at the moment doesn't seem to be forthcoming from the, from the uh, P5 uh, plus one. Thank you. Uh, Barack Kirkmaz asks, uh, what do you think about Hamenei's latest treat, tweets uh, on Saudi, Yemen, Israel, Palestinians, and U.S. and the JCPOA? Is he trying to spread the bushfire and keep Iran under the radar? I have to say, I, I, didn't, I didn't see these particular tweets. I can't really comment uh, on them. Yeah, I know. Uh, so an anonymous attendee asks, is there any action regarding the illegal se settlements in the Negev and the Arab towns? Is there any action on them? Um, I mean, again, I don't know exactly what the person is referring to. Um, there are uh, settlement towns, encampments, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's been going for many, many, many years. Um, there are sometimes actions taken against them. Uh, frequently, there are nothing uh, little to nothing uh, being done uh, against them and certainly again we've got to remember that this co particular coalition has ram in it which is the islamist party and the backbone of their support are the bedouins uh, in uh, the negev so um, steps whereas to to sort of lower the the the, the violence the intra uh, violence or even the arab violence not necessarily connected to terrorism uh, down there um, is, is something that they can back uh, to, to remove any of these unauthorized villages or encampments or settlements, whatever you want to call them, is going to be very tough under this particular uh, uh, political constellation. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week. Thank you. Yeah. Of course, for our viewers and listeners, we will not be having a webinar on Friday. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.